0: And Welcome to episode 110 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Mario Tennis serves up a beta, we have some details about Pokemon on Nintendo Switch, E3 season approaches at long last, and in our book club this week we tackle a landmark in performance capture and a little something different from Rockstar Games. It's L.A. Noir. let's start the show. link to the cast episode 110 from your friends at link to available on all your favorite podcasting platforms apple Podcasts, soundcloud podcast addict stitcher i'm your party host dave ryan returning to the show uh, and uh joined not by jack lazell who has finally gotten a week off of the program but by the platforming prodigy that is mark robinson mark how are you
1: greetings it is lovely to hear your voice even though i heard you as i was you know Uh, in your presence uh, over the weekend but it's nice to to be able to do this again with you well one might say it's been a while it has it has it has actually been a while for for the first time it's 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 valid me doing that bit (laughs) um which has me concerned that this show is going to go about five hours long because there are many (laughs) takes takes, so many takes so many
0: um how have you been buddy
1: yeah yeah not bad not bad um I feel like I've done a bunch of stuff. I uh, went to Belfast the other weekend, which was... Bale Verishter. Yeah, and had a really, really nice time. Weather was pretty much as, as perfect as you could get. Uh, went up to Giant's Causeway, which is awesome. Uh, walked along a road with some trees that apparently are significant from some show about thrones and a game. Um, so that was... <laughs> that That's was a great. popular baking show,
0: Game of Scones, yeah, correct? Yeah,
1: so that was a thing. Uh, and then the city of Belfast is, is really awesome. Um, and as, Is that your first time? That is my first time, yeah. And, like, as a man who is, uh, is English, as you may be aware, <laughs> um, we, uh, as, as being an English person, um, our level of uh, information that we uh, obtain about Northern Ireland is limited at best growing up. Um, so, like... I know kind of well i i knew the dup that was that was that was a big thing that happened uh, last year um but basically we just hear about you know the troubles and um the protestants catholics and just everything that comes with that up until the good yeah. friday agreement um so to see that like the city of belfast itself that just doesn't exist anymore um and it's just it's a really chilled out city um was was not too surprising because i'd been told from you and other people about mm. that um but it's still like in my ignorance um still you get taken aback by that from everything that you knew that had come before um but then you know it only takes a quick ten minute drive to see the 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 mark that's left by everything that did come from the the troubles um so we did we did like a black taxi tour and and went through the the catholic areas and the protestant areas and um yeah it's it's a real eye-opening experience definitely worth doing if you've never done before
0: Mm, absolutely i think i made my first trip there about six years ago it took me a long enough time to get up there and i I love going back um i'm actually heading up there on my birthday weekend in a few weeks so that that'll be my first time there since um god nearly two years myself and brony went up to catch a wrestling show up there um a couple of years ago but we were only kind of in and out the uh like late in the evening early the following morning so didn't get enough time to pour around but we're going up and we're doing a, an airbnb up there for a couple of days How and actually getting to take in the city um so yeah it's gonna be a good time um yeah i i've done I a couple of bits this weekend i had some visitors you did yeah, um, fr- friends of the show and uh, erstwhile co-host Jack Lazell and, and Ian uh, were were over for the weekend. And um, yeah, it was a good time. They came over for the wrestling and, and obviously in Jack's case to visit yourself and myself as well. Um, and I think a good time was had by all. Uh, although I will say, thanks to Irish ferries, I lost 300 quid this week. Oh, Jesus because do you know what i did um what did you do so i'd been here's the thing right so i had been thinking about this for a while and i'm someone as you know from you you lived with me for over two years uh i listen to music and podcasts a lot um so i use my headphones a lot and i usually use the earbuds that sit inside your ear right And over the past few months, I've been thinking about that and thinking about how, like, so if you're just wearing normal earbuds and you go downtown, you kind of need to turn up the volume so you can still hear it. But the volume is is a quite probably potentially damaging levels if you're going to be able to clearly hear it over traffic. So I said to myself for my birthday this year, I, I'll look into the prospect of getting myself some noise cancelling headphones, That was kind of in the back of my mind for a while and I've been sticking away a bit of money here and there for the possibility of that or, you know, something else. Because living alone here now and and waiting for uh, the good lady wife to move in, I am uh, kind of slowly replacing things here and there. So I I could put money on, on one of those projects either. So what happened was jack got delayed he was supposed to get like an early afternoon flight and it got delayed by about or no he's supposed to land early afternoon uh, at dublin port but his boat got delayed because of trouble at sea so there was no swift ferries running that day he had to get a slow ferry and he ended up i I had already left for dublin at this point when he knew he was going to be delayed by about five hours nearly so I was like, okay, what will I do? So firstly, I met up with a good friend of the show, Keith Broney. We had We had a bit of lunch. Um, but y- you know, Mark, from living in Dublin and, and living in Ireland for the last while, that uh, the weather at this time of year is a little bit temperamental. When it's nice, it's very nice. And when it's bad, it's very bad. And we're in this weird kind of half season at the moment where it can turn from one to the other at the drop of a hat. Sure. So, um I was in Tower Records on Dawson Street, a fine establishment, and it was raining quite considerably outside. So when when it rains there, everybody stands out on the porch um, waiting for it to pass. And I was standing there and the Lewis came past uh, our our light rail system, uh, which is kind of new in that part of Dublin. They've connected up the two Lewis lines. And I was like, oh, the Lewis is there. I could just get on the Lewis instead of walking in the rain. And then I looked at the the, the lay the, the board on the side of Lewis I was like, huh that well, Lewis goes all the way out to Dundrum. There's a shopping center in Dundrum. There's a Bose headphones shop in Dundrum. And Mark, everything went white then and next thing I know I'm walking out of Bose with new headphones. <laughs> <laughs> And and I must say, I'm here to tell you, I was not a guy who was very picky about headphones beforehand, but I think that's because I hadn't tasted the finer things in life. Um and I got these headphones, they're great for a number of reasons. They're for those of you at home, they're they're Quiet Comfort 352 or something like that, they're called. They're the second model of the Quiet the, the QC 35s. And I like them one, they're cordless. Um, the the battery lasts if the if the noise canceling is up full. The battery lasts about twenty to twenty five hours. I think it is on one charge, which is pretty good. Um, that obviously varies depending on on whether you like you could turn off or put the the noise canceling on low. And then I think if you have it turned on but you're not using Bluetooth, you just have it with a cord into your phone or your device or whatever. It's it's double or triple that in terms of battery life. Um, I, 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 I love them. I, I was walking down, and my, my podcasts were quite quiet, like nearly at a whisper quiet level, and I couldn't hear a fucking thing outside my headphones. It, it's great. I think, like, it, it was quite a big investment up front, but I, I think, like, ten, fifteen years from now, when wearing earbuds constantly and blaring music would probably really fuck up my hearing. I'll be thankful that I I, I outlaid this much money on them, um, and I get like a, a couple of year warranty on it. So, I in a couple of years, I would probably have gone through nearly that amount in headphones. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the the cheap little buds, you just have to replace them every now and then because they break or or one of the buds falls off or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um. So it probably, in terms of outlay, cost wise, it's not too far off what I would spend in a couple of year period on headphones anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I'm absolutely converted to this lovely world of premium audio. I must say. See,
1: I, I have um a pair of Sony uh, headphones that are like twenty to thirty quid, and yeah, you know they're fine for the job. And there, there is a significant difference between uh, a 20, 30 quid pair of headphones and a. 300 quid pair of headphones. I know I bought many, many years ago. I got a pair of Sennheiser headphones for like 120, I want to say.
0: I, I do love Sennheiser as well, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but the thing is, is anything, any kind of accessory, um, like headphones or sunglasses in particular, I cannot be mm-hmm. trusted with because I will either lose them or break them. Um, ah. So I just... It's like it's three hundred quid that is not worth spending, even though the quality is quite significant. The the step mm. up in quality, uh, I, I cannot justify it. But um, it's a shame because I very much enjoy being able to cancel out all noises around me. It's great. I had
0: been recommended to it by... And there's a um, lot of
1: noises in Dublin.
0: Yeah, like Sarah, um, our friend, and Jack had both recommended it to me. Jack, in particular, was like he has. Uh, I don't think it's this exact set. But he has a set of noise-canceling headphones, and he's like, I travel on the tube, which, as you know, Mark, is incredibly noisy, even compared to Dublin. The tube is ridiculously noisy, and he can't hear a thing.
1: uh, And it's definitely
0: needed on the tube, having done that journey. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I just like it in as much as I've noticed that people it's much more uh, like apart from all the reasons I've already named and the fact that like I can answer phone calls just by tapping a button on the side of my head without taking my phone out my pocket or anything like that that's all that's all handy cool stuff but I also like because I'm antisocial. it's more obvious now that I'm wearing headphones to people that try to bother me in shops around the street <laughs> Honestly, honestly, God, Mark. Like, if I'm if I'm browsing in a shop and I just have a a one earbud in, as I often did walking around shops, people will come up and bother me and try to sell me stuff. But I've been walking around now for a couple of days with these things on, and they're not huge. Like, they they are overhead overhead headphones. They're proper like a proper set of headphones, but they're not huge. But it is at the same time obvious that I'm wearing them, and that if you try to talk to me, I'm not going to be able to hear you. So they don't bother, which is fantastic. um my other thing which is um much less tech nerdy uh, i went to see deadpool 2 yesterday tell me about deadpool 2 yeah so we're not going to turn this into too much of a popcorn social we created a show to talk about films so i might as well use that platform at some point but uh suffice to say deadpool 2 is a hell of a lot of fun i think the the first act of the movie runs dangerously close to just being oh god this is just more of the same they've already run out of ideas it it seems to be just like hey it's Deadpool 1 but more Um, but I will say uh, as the film shakes off that early first act we have to set up why the sequel has bigger stakes sort of stuff Once it shakes that off, and there are some funny jokes in Act 1, but not until it really gets going. Um, It it won't be a spoiler to say, because it's in the trailers. When he starts to assemble his team that he's referring to as X-Force, when it gets to about that part in the film, it really starts rolling. Um, There's a lot of, like, I found myself laughing out loud multiple times in this. And I'm someone who, if I'm on my own, I'm not sitting beside like you or somebody else. I don't really laugh out loud that much it's just kind of the effect comedy has on me i'll still find it very entertaining i'll still find it very funny but i won't uncontrollably laugh out loud unless there's people around me whereas on this occasion i was hooting and clapping and all sorts uh throughout this um it, it finishes very strong which is going to make people think that perhaps it's it's better than than the first deadpool i don't think it is as the some of its parts i, I think it is what it is, is it's more interesting in the things it sets up where, for where they want to go with Deadpool as a franchise and some of the characters that are introduced in it. I definitely um, have more of an appetite for further films in this franchise than I did at the end of Deadpool 1. I think Deadpool 1 is a lovely self-contained story where you're like, okay, that, that was pretty cool. Um, whereas this one is like, oh, I, I, where is that next film? Can I have it now, please? Um a lot of really really good gags in it the same kind of meta fourth wall breaking stuff you'd expect from deadpool um and i must say of particular highlight there is a mid-credit montage that is one of the fucking funniest things i have ever seen in, in a movie like this i just tears um but I, I really like. It's it's hard to talk about the individual elements throughout the film without spoiling it. There's there's some nice reveals, some nice kind of characters show up, and um, it's just a funny fucking movie. It's a shame in light of uh, what has come out about him since uh, the movie was pretty much in the can that TJ Miller is in this movie as much as he is but um i from from what i remember reading is that he pretty much won't be getting a phone call again for for subsequent movies in 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 this franchise and i am absolutely fine with that but yeah deadpool 2 hell of a lot of fun
1: how uh, how soon into cable arriving is
0: uh, a thanos a thanos joke made because i presume there must be one there's there's exactly one it's not quite the there there's a joke made about Thanos in the trailer in one of the trailers for the movie It's not exactly that joke um that joke from the trailer it's weird it's like it, it the joke in the trailer is a remixed version of the setup of one joke and the punchline of the Thanos joke so it comes at a slightly different time where you're not expecting it and it is very funny um they do there's a lot um oh the same kinds of stuff that that he's joking about with regards to the x-men franchise he is in this and i will say the punchlines to that the the kind of the x-men universe stuff are way better in this uh there's some really good uh payoffs and, and twists on how much he takes to piss out of the x-men and, and i really really like that
1: fair enough um yeah, I'm gonna try try and see it this weekend. Because um, Deadpool was the first film I saw when I moved to Ireland with uh, with you and
0: and Brian. Oh yeah, it came out on like Valentine's Day, didn't it? About
1: that, yeah. Um, and yeah. I've been I've been going back and um, watching some of those Sony crossover Marvel films. Like I've been going back and watching quite a few of the X Men films. Actually, I saw
0: you tweeting about this last week. Uh, what was my tweet?
1: Oh, it was about uh, X Men Apocalypse. Yeah, because I'd never seen Apocalypse yeah. before. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, that's pretty much the general it's, consensus. Of yeah, that. it's like right. it's it's
0: a, it's aggressively okay, <laughs> um,
1: and yeah, like it's you know we think about when you think of Marvel when you think of the films, you really do just kind of think about the MCU at this point, um, yeah. and it's it's weird to to know where X Men goes, um, because <laughs> yeah, because you know they've now like okay logan that's that that is that is that arc
0: done um there is an excellent logan joke at the start of that of this movie by the way it's, yes yeah? it's good stuff but yeah go on so i don't know it's just like did they
1: retcon the whole thing um do they at some point just say oh you know what marvel well, mcu you might as well take it back now
0: yeah well um disney in at the moment are in the process of purchasing fox so they will have it back <laughs> there we go um uh, um, in the meantime, there's a movie based on the Phoenix saga that's being called X-Men Dark Phoenix that's coming out. I don't know if it's this year or next year. Um, that's another singer film, I think. Um, and that one is in the, the Days of Future Past X-Men Apocalypse continuity. So the the girl who plays Sansa Stark in Game of Thrones is Jean Grey, which I'm not very happy about. I didn't think she was that great in Apocalypse, but however that movie is coming out whether i want it to or not um and given their track record of handling the the phoenix and dark phoenix stuff with x-men 3 i'm not holding out a particularly high amount of hope for that but there's also you should look up mark if you if you want your x-men fix um look up the trailer for the new mutants which is coming out at some stage and also check out the tv show legion uh, which is an x-men universe thing that's on fox at the moment over in the states um it's really good and really trippy and psychedelic and i think it's one of the most beautifully shot shows on television uh definitely a strong recommendation to that and one of the main characters is aubrey plaza who's pretty much great in everything all right well uh, i'll put that on my to-do list uh shall we talk about some video games my let's friend let's talk about the video games playing this week hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, I've been playing a game. Don't know if you've heard of it. Don't know if you have been talking about it on the podcast or anything. It's it's a little game. You know, it might have escaped your grasp. It's called God of War.
1: Uh, I have been playing a game called God of War. Indeed. I am aware of the game <laughs> God of War. Myself and Jack have spoken about it for the last yes. two episodes. Um Yes, so, yeah, it is time to get your takes, uh, maybe further discuss some of my takes, and, uh, mm. yeah, let's let's talk about God of War. Okay,
0: so rip the band-aid off very quickly. I like it a whole bunch. Um, that's kind of like my, you know, if you were to put it in a neat little package, uh, um, that would be my, my thoughts on it. I, I think what it does to separate itself in some ways from the, the tedium that was the original series uh the god of war series uh, and reinvent itself as a an, an over-the-shoulder open world action game with a that's actually trying to say something it is pretty miraculous because they, they're coming from pretty much zero to 60 in in the course of in between the last god of war game and this uh in those respects like this looks like they have learned a few tricks from naughty dog it's not quite at the level of narrative or or world building as um a last of us uh but it's it's just night and day with what these games used to be um visually the game is one of the most stunning things i i have ever seen a part of that down to the fact that i now have a 4k tv that i can enjoy god of war on um it's just teeming with Detail, color—that's another thing. That like the, this was the the angry button mashy video game um, of, of the PS2 era, and they've come back and added much better pacing to it. That it has quiet and reflective moments, and added this bloom of color and sound. That really just completely enriches the world and the experience and and for the first time in i don't know if you got were you a guy who played the original god of war series mark
1: yeah i so i played about i've played about half of all of them on the basis that i get about halfway through and then i go yep i'm done i've got everything i need out of this i have no interest in playing any further
0: it's the first time in the franchise I find, and this could just be me, but I always found, and part of it is probably the technical limitations of the time, that when you're in the original God of War games, it feels like you're just on an artificial set of a video game. There's no, the world doesn't feel like it exists. It feels like just a, a kind of last minute drawn together, uh, arena in which to have your button mashy action whereas this norse mythology inspired world of of, of this god of war feels lived in feels explorable feels like you actually want to instead of just sprint through to the next battle you actually want to walk around and have a look around and do a lot of these side quests that are on offer just so that you can see every nook and cranny and see, like, there are so many occasions on which I have stopped in the game just to look at the vista in front of me, just to see the little movements of the leaves, the trees, the grass, the, like, the birds, uh, and just how rich everything is. Um, I think a lot has been said about, obviously, the game is centered around the... um, the father son relationship of Kratos and and Atreus in in this game, and uh, whereas I I don't think it's it's perfect, uh, I I think it's a really interesting way to try and sort of. It kind of reminds me of the way the the Tomb Raider reboot of a few years ago tried to have a reckoning with its own history and reframe Lara as a completely different character. And whereas there is a lot on the surface, it seems like Kratos is just his normal self. Like we all, and this isn't in a bad way. We, we all kind of slag off the idea that, you know, about 90% of the time in this game, he refers to Atreus as boy. Um, which has become a meme and is is hilarious i still chuckle every time he just calls him boy in this game but there is really slight and it, as the game deepens i i must say now i'm not how how far would you say we're into it About a third of the way through maybe i we're both I, at roughly the same point i have no idea how long the game actually is i uh, i've heard about 30 to 35 hours um
1: I would yeah maybe I'll turn a third of the way in um you have um Mamir right yes yeah. yes I do so I have him and uh, I'm currently off doing some side mission at the moment cuz I know yeah. the next thing is to go to Holdenheim or whatever the hell it is
0: Jodenheim Jodenheim, yeah yeah. Yeah, that's literally where I am is that I was about to go to Yodenheim and I decided to go back and do some of these side quests that I've been kind of racking up and waiting for a, a break in the narrative to do. Um so as the game kind of deepens as you get past the the introduction um what you see is past the boy of it all there are very subtle and growing hints that it like it that the anger is just a facade for kratos that like he's obviously dealing with the grief of of his wife's death i, I have a lot of problems with the complete lack of fleshing out of the the, the 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 character of the mother um although i will not speak nearly as eloquently on that as they did on on waypoint radio so i would urge everybody to check that out um but just the little moments where you can tell how much he actually cares and how much he wants to bond with his son and how the anger isn't really directed towards the son, it's directed towards himself and just appears to be at the boy. I think there's some very good subtle stuff done there in the writing. Um, I don't think, as I said, it's a perfect game by any stretch. I really like, conceptually, the idea of the entire game from start to finish is one camera cut um but i think there are points at which it it lets you down there are some times where they have thrown in that being able to turn around the camera by hitting down on the d-pad but there are some times where things are so frantic in battle that it's just not practical um and i would prefer a more intuitive camera system those on those occasions um but in terms of making it a cinematic experience i know why they made that decision and you know we we chastise games big triple a bu- uh big budget games for playing it safe a lot um so i think just the fact that they want to do something a bit different and make this entire game from start to finish one long camera cut um is impressive uh yeah, in, in its ambition
1: i one of my big issues with the game is is the camera and i've spoken about this um I don't know if I spoke about it here. I know I mentioned it on Twitter. Um, And it's an issue I have with a number of third-person games where the camera is just so... Like, it's attached to the head of Kratos. Um, And I don't know whether it's... They want... They want you to kind of see the game through the eyes of Kratos as much as possible, or they want to minimize the amount of stuff that's on the screen any given time... Um, but I, you know, I don't know how they handle uh, the game kind of loading out frame per frame. But the f- any time, <clears throat> any time, time in a game like this where you need to have some sort of icon or arrow behind you that indicates that you have got an enemy coming behind you, that's just yeah. a, that is a, a symbol, uh, uh, just a sign that okay, you've done something wrong here, and you're trying to correct this with to a problem that shouldn't exist. Um, yeah. You know.
0: What it feels like to me is that they had the ambitious idea of doing one long camera cut for the game, and they decided that they put in that arrow system and the turnaround camera as a kind of, this is our quick fix to this problem, maybe we'll come back and figure out something better later. And they just never came up with a better solution. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and so that,
1: a number of times, particularly during the busy moments, um really like you end up rolling significantly more or you know moving around significantly more because you're just paranoid that something is coming behind you certainly when you because like, it usually is yeah yeah um and it's only been it's only been kind of over the last hour or so that i've I've kind of fully clocked on with the combat because I was a bit iffy about it for a while um and I was for A large portion of the early part of the game. Um, I was just sticking to throwing the axe. Kind of run and gun basically. Throw the axe. Go to another point. Pick the axe up. And then start again. Um, And part of it is that. It's weird to have a game like this. You know. It's not a a quote unquote hack and slash. But it still has elements of that. Um, But to use the R1 and R2 buttons. As the, the focal point of combat. As compared to you know traditional games of this nature using the face buttons um it's really really weird to
0: have that and so uh, it's also i find ergonomically it's much more easy on the hand like when you have a hack and slash that that bashes the face buttons in uh, my thumb is in ribbons within a couple of hours where using the triggers it it takes a while to rewire the brain to use R1 and R2 as your heavy and light attack, but I find that I can have, and maybe this is uh, to my detriment in terms of productivity, but I can have longer play sessions without feeling like my arm is going to fall off. I think part of that also comes down
1: to that the combat is laid out a lot more sporadically. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's not as frantic. It's not a frantic game, you know. Um, No. There are large, large portions of uh exploration and just quietness as you kind of described in the way that like a Last
0: of Us or even The Breath of the Wild does. Yeah. Um I think the moments it, it definitely still does for the the God of War fan. When the big battles come, they do feel big. Uh some of those bosses mark are pretty damn challenging. Um there was one in particular I can't remember the name. It's some really long Norse name um it it's the dude who has the trident that shoots the things that if they explode by you it makes everything dark and you can't see him you know that guy um
1: oh the yes yeah the the winged guy in yeah uh, the, the, first the, kind of the boss
0: yeah the boss version of him because yeah. there's the there are those guys there there are some kind of mid and easy versions of that guy to defeat yeah, he, he was a pain he was He's the one so far that I actually got stuck on for a, a little bit of time because it—it it is a case of you actually have to, not Dark Souls level, obviously, but the, the bosses in this game, you do actually have to study their attack patterns. You can't just be angry dad of war and go in fists flying and just punch everything to bits. Sometimes um, you need to use your axe. Sometimes Atreus and his arrows are the, the best way to, to skin a cat. Sometimes um, you need to sheath the axe and just go in fist flying. Um, so, yeah, like you said, even though the it's a less frantic game in how much time it gives you to relax, I, I do think that the the action in itself is very, very satisfying. And I think if we were to have an award this year in our, in our end-of-year show for most satisfying mechanic... It's pressing triangle for that axe to come back into your hand. I have that, and I have another one. There's a specific attack that's
1: like, basically, you hold the R2 button, and uh, mm-hmm. Kratos kind of like... Buries l- it
0: into their head. Yeah. When that yeah. lands, that's a mwah kind of moment. When, not only when it lands, but when it is that you time it so that the enemy is leaning in as you do it. Um, it's, yeah, that that's fantastic. But just the... Like, it's proper they went to see a Thor movie and they loved the idea that he can bring Mjolnir back into his hand just by holding out his hand. Um, And one of the small things, I can't remember what podcast, I'd like to credit whoever it is, but I can't remember who it is, that pointed out the most satisfying part of that mechanic, apart from the, like, the thunk noise when it arrives back into your hand, is the fact that they went to the little extra trouble of making sure that the further it is away from you when you recall it it takes slightly longer for it to get back to you yeah like most games wouldn't put in that little detail it would just immediately snap back into your hand or it would be the same fixed amount of time no matter where you were in relation to the axe but the fact that it takes a little bit longer if it's a little bit further away and that you can kind of hear it hit off things on its way back to you as well is absolutely fantastic. Um, and what adds to that satisfaction is later in the game. I don't know how far you are in the upgrade trees, but when you get the the perfect throw, where you you time the when you press triangle to bring it back to you, so you throw it and you press triangle when the the axe flashes, and it completes. It'll attack them again on the way back on the throw, but you can uh, upgrade that perfect throw attack to have an explosive impact um and that is pretty damn fantastic i must say
1: yeah i i will say um and i mentioned this um with jack as well uh one of the the things that i'm not particularly fond of and i know why it's in there um and i mentioned this this to you yesterday i think about just kind of uh, trends and tropes in in big AAA titles these days. Um, the whole uh, kind of skill tree, runes, that whole setup within the menu. I'm not the biggest fan of, um, mainly because the time that you spend faffing around in there, it's time that's taken away from actually playing the game. Um, and it's yeah. you know, God of War is it's an action adventure, hack and slash, blah blah blah. So that's where I want to do the most of the gameplay my other issue with it as well is that you know there are all these um runes and you can upgrade your armor and your weapons and etc etc and none of it really feels like it makes any significant difference to the game um particularly the runes um you know they're um, there and you can slot them in and i don't know i just it all the time that's invested in in faffing around with that it it doesn't add anything really to the experience that i could just not be doing by playing the game.
0: What i will say is that i will say that is a valid criticism for the kind of video game player that i know you are. Yeah, well there is that and i'm aware of that. That like for the like for a lot of people, and not just people who are trained on on western RPGs, but people who want a little bit more depth and customization to the way they they battle. This, like, I find it a considerable improvement, Um, and I will say it has one of the things that cuts a lot of that faffing out. Um, It's a thing The Witcher has as well, that um, inventories can seem very, very overwhelming, and the best way for to allow for people who don't actually care about reading the numbers and reading the explanation of what it does is they have a simple short key, which is they will show you a green arrow or a red arrow based on whether this thing is better or worse than the thing you already have equipped, which really cuts down considerably on the amount of time you would waste otherwise, which a lot of other games don't bother doing. Um, I would say as well, with regards to runes, it's a case of, and this is only because this isn't, a uh, excusing it. It definitely still is a, a valid criticism for again, people who just want to fucking get it over with and, and get to the action but it is similar to other western RPGs it's clearly where it's borrowed from in that it, what matters is you chaining together a bunch of runes so that collectively they have a massive impact no one individual rune mm-hmm. makes a huge difference as you say to the way you play but if you uh, maybe not it doesn't reveal itself a third of the way through the game but it's like when you get more and more things that have similar effects so i have a bunch of runes that i can put on my stuff that all have vitality effects they increase my health i've chained a bunch of them together so i've equipped all of them so cumulatively i have a massive stat boost to my health which is great because periodically i lose patience and I I don't consider how I should attack and that way I lose a lot of health. But if I have a big vitality boost, then I don't need to worry as much about that. Um, So what I will say is that it depends on what kind of player you are. If you're someone who kind of is, is there for the, I just want to get into the action as quick as possible or the exploring as quick as possible. And I don't want to have too much customization and things like that. Then, everything you've said is a hundred percent bang on and is a reason why you will like the game less but if you're somebody not even as far as former co-host of the show brian who is so into his inventory and so into his stats that the more of that the better for him if you're someone who's kind of in between you and him on that which is me someone who like i'm not particularly gone on spending a lot of time doing inventory management but if there's some cool stuff i can do by spending a few seconds in there and, and combining a bunch of stuff then it adds a bit of depth and character and and also makes it feel like all the different MacGuffins you're picking up through the game actually mean something rather than they're just filling uh an inventory slot and you're never going to look at them again
1: yeah and I, I think i mentioned this as well that um my other the the other thing the other trope that annoys me is the fact that all of those MacGuffins there are simply because they justify the inclusion of the the runes and the skill tree and all of that. And um, it's it's not lazy game design, but it's just for large portions of the game you're walking behind uh, boy and boy um, <laughs> and you know he'll walk in one direction and you just know that means okay, well I just have to walk in the other direction and I'll find some dead end with some item and. Yeah it's, you know, it's not what I would call kind of, you know, this real in-depth exploration because you usually just have to walk two seconds around a corner um, and yeah. it's it's not I don't know, it's not what I'd call um, absolute, like, necessary uh, game design and, and inclusion, but they're, they're minor quibbles and, um, you know, when I look at the game as a whole um, the only real thing that I pick up on that Is has been annoying at times, or has I can just see where I would like to see it changed, or given the option to to do something different with it. Is the camera? Um, That's the only kind of real thing that holds me back from saying it's you know it's a perfect game. Um, Mm. uh, Well, uh, there are other things as well, Um, but I will say I very much enjoy the just the like. There are times where Kratos comes across like Drax. Um, from yeah. the Guardians of the Galaxy films um, between the interaction between him and um, Atreus and uh, there was one line in particular um, yesterday or the day before where uh, I think it was Atreus made a joke of some description and Kratos just responded with I am always serious
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you like, it's like are you ever not serious? I am always serious, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's good. There is definitely some humor in there um that I really, really appreciate. Um yeah, dad of boy. It's a fucking good game. Yes, I will go with that. Uh let's go to the news. News on the map. in the news this week it's e3 season i know you're excited mark i can feel it it's nearly here um june's big uh, electronic three the the electronic entertainments expo is right around the corner and we have some details uh, about sony's playstation showcase uh, at e3 um Basically just the date and time. Uh, they have dated in detail this year's PlayStation E3 showcase, which begins on Monday, June 11th. More specifically, as outlined in Sony's announcement post on the PlayStation blog, this year's proceedings will get underway Monday, June 11th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Which equates to a shattering 2 a.m. on Tuesday, June 12th in the UK. None of that should come as too much of a surprise, because that is pretty much the same slot that Sony has already, uh, as historically occupied. Not exactly business as usual, however. Sony has elected to outline the games it will be showcasing in advance this year, perhaps to better manage expectations. The show, which will be broadcast live from LA on June 11th, will focus on four specific playstation exclusives kojima's death stranding sucker punches ghost of tsushima insomniac spider-man and naughty dogs last of us part two uh sony said they'll also have stellar announcements from third-party publishers and independent developers who are all busy devising innovative new experiences that will make your heart race and emotions soar um Mark, nothing really to be said about the date and time, but uh, what do you think about Sony coming out ahead of time and trying to manage expectations here?
1: Um, That is what we call reflecting on prior E3s. um, Yes. And the simple fact that, you know, they're never going to top whatever year it was where there was... Oh Jesus! What 20, really?
0: 2013 the one where they what was the one Microsoft with like Last Guardian and Final Fantasy? And... Uh, I think that was twenty fifteen. I want to say because that get, it did Last Guardian came out in like twenty sixteen, didn't it? Or was it last year? Uh, twenty uh, seventeen,
1: maybe early early twenty seventeen or I Yeah,
0: I, I think I think. Hold on, I, I'll look it up here while you're talking
1: anyway. Um, but yeah, I I think that. Sony have done a smart thing here. Um, I mean, in fairness, the people that uh, will be disappointed by not getting whatever thing they want to hear about, I mean, fuck them anyway, doesn't it? You know, I, whatever. Um, so, but, you know, this is an interesting to, way. Uh, you...
0: Sorry, 2015 was the year with uh, Final Fantasy Seven, Shenmue Three, uh, uh, and right, Slash right, okay, sure. yeah. Guardian. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think this is a smart thing to do. Um, it gets people knowing
1: exactly what they're going to see and so they can prepare for that um, I mean out of all of them I'm curious to see what Mad Bastard Kojima comes up with for, for yeah. a new trailer um, and you know Spider-Man looks awesome so yeah,
0: yeah. Spider-Man being the most interesting one because it's out this year so we're probably going to get a significant bit of gameplay um, I think we'll get probably the like the the announcement that last of us is next year um as for death stranding because it's kojima there's no point in even trying to predict um and i, I have no idea how far along goes to tsushima is i hope it's pretty far along because i want to play it it looked really good when it debuted last year um and like you said it, it's a good idea to manage expectations that way if there's a couple of surprises people are genuinely surprised by them and if there's not and people are still mad it's like well we told you it was going to be at e3 and if you thought something else was going to be there then it's your own fault yeah <laughs> yeah and actually yeah you make a good point there that
1: it's um it's actually a really easy way to surprise people because you announce all the big stuff which you know then you can just throw something in there uh, as a surprise yeah. uh so yeah it's, it's a smart thing to do
0: yeah, and we know we'll get the sizzle reel in the middle with like all the third party stuff. We'll get our our, our FIFA, uh, we'll get our Call of Duty, we'll get our Battlefield. So um, yeah, it'll, it'll just be the kind of. Um, it'll, I'm looking forward to it. There's some really interesting stuff coming up at E3 this year that I really want to take a closer look at. So looking forward to that. Uh, moving on, uh, it's it's also. Hand in hand with E3 season, Mark, is the season of leaks. It seems that within like the month or so before E3, um, platform holders and developers are like, are are just leaky ships. And we have finally some details about Nintendo Switch's Pokemon RPG. Um, another day, another Nintendo leak. This time for the under wraps Pokemon RPG headed to Nintendo Switch. A persistent rumour the game's two editions will be named Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Pokemon Let's Go Eevee has been quietly doing the rounds for several months. It all became public yesterday when an unverified drawing of a logo appeared online. Um... If your feet are feeling wet, the floodgates on Pokemon Switch details have been dribbling and speculation for some time. The usual sources on Twitter, Twitter, Reset Era, and 4chan have not been subtle. And yesterday's leak prompted roundups of rumours on numerous sites and blogs since all signs seem to point in the same direction. This storage from Eurogamer, by the way. That direction that the Pokemon game for Switch will be set in the series' original reason of region of Kanto. Fist bump and be influenced somewhat by the hugely successful Pokemon Go, which was a line in this story which made me a little bit trepidatious, Mark. I'm not going to lie. Last year, I heard from sources familiar with the project. This game would indeed be set in Kanto and sort of a remake of Pokemon Yellow. The visuals would be familiar and reflect the project's origins as a higher resolution version of the 3DS game Sun and Moon. I was told before development took a different turn. Pokemon Yellow launched in 1998. That's 20 years ago this year, God. Um, but yeah, there was a little bit of a um, uh, there was there was a picture that, that surfaced early in the year. Um, there was a section of gameplay where the player character is riding on the back of a Lapras. Eagle-eyed fans suggested it looked like uh, a lot like an updated version of Kanto's aquatic route 21, and noticed an Eevee on the character's shoulder traveling outside its Pokeball. Um, the visuals in it do look very similar to the 3ds games Sun and Moon uh, mark we will we'll shoot over to you uh, what are your thoughts on this kind of this trove of information regarding um, the the switch Pokemon uh, do you like the idea that it's sort of a semi remake of yellow and what do you think about the possibility that it's inspired on some level by Pokemon go uh
1: not surprised entirely that they would use uh like canto as a, as a source of material to to work with um I think that you know there is a a, a massive generation of of players um who came back for pokemon go i, I think that played a large portion in that being as wildly successful as it was because it, you know, just used the original 150 Pokemon. Um, and I think that retreading the ground of Kanto, but in an entirely new approach, a entirely new, entirely new way, um, is a really interesting way to go. Now, the problems they have with that is because of how friggin expansive uh the, the the universe of pokemon how ex- expanded it has become um what do they do for you know the those people out there who have been playing from generation three onwards and have brought their pokemon over each with each game and had to go through all the different ways from the link cables to up to Pokemon bank in order um to keep those pokemon around to like what happens with them? um will they be able to be transferred over will players have to completely start from scratch again you know what approach will they take with that because um you know if the presentation of this game is entirely new um you know there's a difference between doing 150 assets designs and animations as compared to 700 and whatever else they have at the moment uh, so that is is, I'm curious by that, but um, yeah, I you know this is a, a an ace card that Nintendo have, and they have a few at the moment, um, and I'm I'm really curious to see what if what we get at E3 in regards to this.
0: Mm, absolutely. Um, speaking of game news. Metro Exodus, the the third game in the Metro franchise, has been delayed by roughly six months. It was supposed to release in autumn of this year, but now has been delayed till Q1 2019. Publisher Deep Silver and developer 4A Games issued a joint statement this morning. The development of Metro Exodus is progressing well. We're all really excited by what we're seeing. We've been constantly reviewing the game's progress to ensure that we deliver a product that gamers and fans of the Metro series want and deserve, as well as keeping an eye on announcements from our competitor products. We want everyone to be able to experience what is the most ambitious Metro game to date at its absolute best, and therefore we've taken the decision to move the release date to Q1 2019. Uh, Mark, were you a Metro guy? These are like... The Metro games to me are a real kind of like... low-key pretty decent games that have a a pretty kind of cult fan base i've never played one yeah they're they're all right they're like there's something a little bit different they're definitely a kind of like a throwback to the like mid-sized uh single player focused shooter that you get out of like a a b-tier publisher back when they still kind of existed a, a lot um, they're decent games I, I wouldn't say I have any huge great affection for them like I'm not baying for Metro Exodus to come out but it's pretty cool um, the the trailer I think at E3 last year looked pretty damn good um, but you know we're always on this show Mark talking about how we would prefer for developers to take their time release the game when it's ready rather than release it broken and then try to fix it afterwards Mass Effect Andromeda <laughs> still bitter about that yeah yeah still still a little bit but uh yeah so that's metro delayed into 2019 mark again the two of us definitely have on the radar mario tennis aces has announced the pre-launch tournament dates uh that will uh, comprise its beta um on the 22nd of June we will have the actual full game but several weeks earlier you'll be able to compete in a pre-launch online tournament Um kind of like the Global Test Punt Series for ARMS or we had the Splatoon Test Fire last year as well um, you'll be able to try this serving hey, of Mario Tennis Aces from 3pm UK time on Friday the 1st of June until midnight UK time on Sunday the 3rd of June uh, four characters will be featured, Mario, Peach, Yoshi, and Bowser, with five more unlockable. No word on what they are. Single player will also be available, although you will still need to be collected, connected online. Um... And what's pretty cool is that uh, if you play the the online tournament uh, beforehand while you're doing the beta test, you'll unlock some costumes uh, for the full game that will be otherwise unavailable. Mark, where is your uh, excitement level for Mario Tennis Aces at the moment? I know we were both pretty hyped when it it first showed up.
1: Yeah, so I didn't play... What was the last one? There was one on the 3DS, I want to say... Um, which I didn't play. Um, but knowing that this is available to play as a demo, uh,
0: that's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that... Yeah, Mario Tennis Open was the 3DS game. Yeah, uh,
1: I'm glad uh, Nintendo are doing that. Um, clearly, it's been successful for them with the fact that they've done this before and they're doing it again. And yeah, I, I, I would definitely like want to get my hands on this. And if it plays well, if it feels well, Uh, I'd I'd be all up for for getting my hands on this uh, because I don't really have... uh, I don't have any sports games for Switch. Um, I I mean, calling Mario sports games as sports games is is a bit of a loose term. Whereas Um, I have the the video game of the one true sport, ARMS. Yeah, uh, but that is a game that I would probably do uh, online multiplayer with because I'm not terrible at Mario Tennis. But again, it depends on how this
0: plays. Indeed. Um... Speaking of uh, leaks, as we did earlier on, um, a leaked image shows an Xbox accessibility pad with two giant buttons. Um, So this is pretty cool. Um, Strides have been made in recent years, Mark, to improve accessibility in games for people uh, with various disabilities. Um, One of the things I really appreciated uh, in terms of accessibility options uh, in recent years, I saw it first with Rise of the Tomb Raider, I think it was was the ability to uh, change the color scheme um, and variance in subtitles in a game for people who are varying levels of colorblind and are unable to observe um, the, the the standard uh, subtitles in a game. Um, but we've seen different uh, projects over the years. Did you ever see the, uh, the accessibility controller for the NES that was designed? I don't think I did. Um, it was one where you basically would blow into a tube to signal that you wanted to press the A button and suck out of the tube to press the B button, and then I think like with your your tongue or whatever you would press the the up, down, left, right. I have. Um,
1: n- I, you're trolling me. I've never heard of that. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm. I, I was. I'm pretty sure it was for an NES. Um like i I was a third party one obviously but uh yeah different like strides being made and i think was it the guy who won trending gamer this past year at the games awards is a big advocate for accessibility in games because as games grow uh, as a pastime uh, as a medium you gotta sort of try and make your shit more accessible because not everybody is able to hold a controller in their hands. Not everybody has the dexterity or the ability to press all the buttons or, or react properly. Obviously there's only, you know, there are certain things that can't be got around, but I really appreciate someone as big as Microsoft uh, trying to do something like this where um, they have basically, it looks like a giant keyboard for a laptop and there's just two giant Face buttons on it um, and a D-pad uh, and that's that's all you got um, so yeah it, it's pretty cool that they don't have to rely on people like third party companies or there's also a charity called Special Effect that modifies controllers to enable people to, disabled people to play games you should check them out um, yeah this is a pretty cool move
1: yeah I, look, um, anything that can include people who may feel excluded otherwise. Um, it's awesome. Um, and we, we've seen games, or not maybe so much major games, but we've seen kind of a lot of indie developers take risks and do different types of games that can include more people, whether it be, you know, something like uh, being colorblind. We, we see a lot of games that have kind of a colorblind mode. Um, and yeah i saw the the controller uh and it's it's a curious looking thing but it's it's a really cool idea i i really like it
0: yeah absolutely uh it's a little bit of a you know, a little bit of um Bad news. Cliff Blazinski announced the closure of his developing stu- uh, development studio, BossKey. Um, lawbreakers and Radical Heights developer BossKey is closing its doors, according to a statement from studio co-founder Cliff Blazinski on Twitter. As of today, Boss Key Productions is effectively no more, the statement reads. Four years ago, I set out to make a world-class video game studio, and I hired some of the best talent in the industry. They worked tire- tirelessly to produce quality products, and while we had our ups and downs, I'd like to think we had fun doing it. Um... I feel really bad about this um, because, uh, by all accounts, Lawbreakers, which was their big first project that was supposed to obviously uh, announce their arrival and fund the subsequent product, really didn't find an audience. Um, Although, as I said, by by all accounts, it was actually quite a good product, decent game. Um, It just unfortunately came out kind of... At the tail end of the, the hype for Overwatch and shortly before PUBG hit huge uh, and it just died on the vine um, so it's a real shame uh, as, we, as we always say when things like this happen on the show, we hate to see people lose their jobs. there's plenty of talented people uh, working there, and uh, not least Cliffy B himself, so I'm sure they'll all hopefully f- find uh, themselves landing on their feet at, at studios elsewhere and um, but now it explains why that game, the the kind of the the battle royale game they had, Radical Heights, came out just out of nowhere. Um, he kind of explains in in the the statement that that game coming out so quickly was a real attempt to roll the dice and keep the studio liquid, um, and it just was too little, too late.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes you'll have something that gets released, and it's. Um... It catches fire, you know, and, and it picks up a buzz. Um, you think of something like Rocket League, which didn't come out to any kind of big fanfare, um, but just partly because it came out on PS Plus, but it just, you know, the the ball picked up and, and people hurt, got wind of it, and that was that. Um, and it just didn't happen. And it could be that, you know, if you can't be in the game right now to do any kind of Battle Royale um any kind of battle royale mode because the market is just, is Fortnite or it's PUBG, G. Uh, and you know, unless you've got some serious muscle behind you, you're, you're just not going to make any traction there. Um, yeah. so, you know, I, I get the idea of rolling the dice, but it, I, I feel it was just, it was an ill fated, uh, mistake. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Cliffy B, he'll, he'll land his feet where, wherever. And, um, and I'm sure the rest of the team will.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Moving on, for any of you who were uh, desperate to get them uh, over the last two Christmases, fear not, because the Nes Mini returns to shops this June, and have confirmed that it's diminutive and spectacularly popular retro console, the NES Mini, will be returning to retailers on June 29th. Since its launch back in November 2016, the NES Mini, or the Nintendo Classic Mini NES as it's officially known, has been incredibly tough to find at a reasonable price, thanks to a combination of high demand and limited stock. Nintendo formally announced that it would be discontinued last April, and prices have remained sky-high ever since. Indeed, third-party retailers on Amazon are now happily flogging a new machine for between £140 and £500 sterling, so a re-release of the console which nintendo initially touted in september last year is welcome news uh yeah mark this seems very much like uh nintendo going hey hey people trying to sell the second hand there's money to be made here and nintendo are going to make it not you so fuck off
1: (laughs) yeah i mean at some point we knew that they would probably bring this back because uh i mean it's not there was money left on the table the mad thing is is they could probably have the nesmini as uh the you know break glass in case of emergency uh not that they really are in any kind of uh, emergency at the moment and won't be for some time um but hey they were like you know what let's make some more money that we probably could have made last year if we'd sold this you know with any kind of stock available <laughs> Uh so you know, this is not exactly the, the, the biggest surprise. Um I just I wonder if they'll actually make any changes in terms of actually giving you uh cables uh for the Nintendo, for the controllers that are actually oh, of, God, you know, any yeah. significant length. Um so that that's the thing that I'll be curious to see if they actually make any changes to the design.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That because will surely be- <laughs>
1: surely someone caught wind from someone that hey you know
0: what? There's a few flaws here. You, you, you would think, but uh, also at the same time, this is Nintendo, so <laughs> who knows? Um, Stardew Valley is coming to the PlayStation Vita. The remaining inhabitants of Vita Island celebrate. Um, can I, can celebrate... I just say? Can I just say? Yeah. yeah.
1: I already thought it was on the Vita
0: yeah so did i <laughs> that's that's mainly why it's in here because i was surprised to learn that it wasn't already there it's coming out on may 22nd but don't celebrate for too long vita owners because this also uh this news broke several days before playstation i think it was this morning formally announced that they will not be making games anymore for the vita Uh not in physical terms anyway the store will still be live people can still publish uh, digital games up there but in terms of physical game cards being produced that is going to be no more um so uh a little bit of good news and just even more bad news for vita owners who are still clinging on to well it's not reality but (laughs) whatever it is vita owners cling to
1: but they have Stargy valley now so they never need to play another game again
0: Exactly, exactly. So,
1: yeah, look at the positive, Dave. Look on the
0: positive. <laughs> because for a while there, Mark, there was definitely de- definitely concern that you would never play another game again or eat another meal or go outside again. Uh no, this is true. <laughs> when I came to Stardew Valley. Uh moving on, this is the most hilarious leak of the week and possibly the 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 strangest way in which a leak has come out in quite some time. FIFA 19 already has picked up the official license for the Champions League and the Europa League. It was only a few weeks ago that we were talking about Yeah, they did not waste any fucking time. It really, like, it was only a few weeks ago on the show we were reporting that the, the rights were coming up due and Konami weren't renewing. Um... But this league has come from an unlikely source. Last month, Konami announced its 10-year deal with UEFA would come to an end after this year's Champions League final between Real Madrid and Liverpool, which is in a couple of weeks. It means Pro Evolution Soccer's decade-long run as the exclusive Champions League rights holder for video games is over. The announcement led to speculation that EA Sports had nabbed the Champions League license for FIFA 19, which is due out later this year. Well, according to a Dutch commentator, EA Sports has done exactly that. Yesterday, speaking on Dutch television, Fox Sports commentator Evert. Ten Apple talked about his voice work for the FIFA series, and in doing so, ju- just just said it. <laughs> he just <laughs> he just said it. He expressed his excitement at the addition of the Champions League and the Europa League for FIFA 19. The video is attached below uh, in this Eurogamer uh, U- uh, article, with uh, quotes and everything, including the exact phrase: "Champions League is coming to FIFA 19." <laughs> I wonder if he's heard of an NDA before. Um... Because <laughs> I'm,
1: I'd I'm, imagine he's got one that's been signed somewhere. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure EA are just fucking thrilled with this.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that well, was going to be the fucking centerpiece of the E3 commercial. That'll make everyone you go, know whoa! What? Yeah, probably, right. Um, You know, Alex Hunter is going to be in the Champions League this year. That's that's the journey, part three.
1: You know, I mean, in fairness, it means that they don't have to fly Mourinho to London or fucking uh, California. I hope they
0: do. I hope they do, because it was super fucking weird.
1: Uh, I mean, who can they get this time? I mean, Allardyce will be free for the summer, so maybe... Oh,
0: Allardyce. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He'll <laughs> do anything for a paycheck. Or just get get um, a personal favour of myself and Jack. Get Sean Dyshawn to fucking growl his way through a presentation. All that, all that. that right. Oh, fucking games out in September. <laughs> yeah. It'd be fucking great. I'd love it. Uh, moving on, SNK... Is releasing a Neo Geo Mini and includes 40 classic Neo Geo games. I mean I'm pretty its...
1: sure all of them
0: are on the Switch at this point. Celebrate, yeah, pretty much. Uh celebrating its 40th birthday by embracing the current craze for miniaturized nostalgia and releasing the delightfully dinky Neo Geo Mini, featuring a preloaded selection of 40 classic Neo Geo games. Um, do we have the list here? We do. King of Fighters 95, 97, 98, 2000, 2002. Art of Fighting, Fatal Fury Special, Real About Fatal Fury, Garyu Mark of the Wolf, Samurai Showdown 2 and 4, Samurai Showdown 5, uh, Last Blade 2, World Heroes Perfect, uh, Kazuna Encounter, Metal Slug 1 through 3, King of Monsters, Monsters 2, Shock Troopers 2nd Squad, uh, Sengoku 3 ninja masters top players golf super sidekicks blazing star puzzled metal slug x four and five magician lord king of monsters blues journey shock troopers robo army cross swords mutation nation three count bout last resort ghost pilots and football frenzy
1: can we just talk about how freaking cool these things look they are adorable <laughs> it must be said um, very much capturing capturing the the aesthetic and design of you know many uh, SNK games that I had played back in the day on an arcade cabinet um hmm. yeah these these are awesome uh if these ha- if they had these um like for for the SNES you know if the SNES decided to do like a variant similar to this I'd absolutely pick one up um yeah. yeah, this is this is just so cool. I wonder if they'll do um some sort of link cable, like if two people have uh one each, if they have a link cable so oh, they could do a cool. two-player mode.
0: It's 162mm uh, oh, tall, 135mm wide, one hundred and eight millimeters deep, and it only weighs six hundred grams. It's got a three point five inch display on it, but it doesn't have wind jammers, so it can get in a tiny bin. <laughs> Uh, our final news story of the week this is the, the kind of the, the, the silliest news story I, I read this week uh, Far Cry 5 Arcade uh, which is like a very customizable um, map editor uh, within Far Cry 5 uh, has thrown up a few buttes over the last couple of weeks but this is my favourite The Island from Lost the TV show about polar bears and time travel has been painstakingly recreated in Far Cry 5's Arcade Map Maker mode. Um, as a huge fan of the show, the man on Eurogamer, not me, I am genuinely in awe of YouTuber Unbreakable's work. Having played Ubisoft's dodgy official Lost game, it feels like he has done a better job of recreating the island than Ubi itself. There's a beach camp with tents in the graveyard area. There's its kitchen and Charlie and Claire's tent complete with a guitar and a crib. There's a caves area complete with its Adam and Eve skeletons. Venture out further into the jungle and you'll find the crashed uh, Flight 815's cockpit section. Um, you reach the Dharma Swan, explore the hatch, like this. I, I love this kind of shit. You know, uh, people do it with like um Minecraft, where they create all sorts of wacky stuff like someone using the, the redstone fusing was able to make uh, a working calculator in Minecraft and so like that I really enjoy how uh, people figure out ways to get creative with the tools uh, a map editor or a, a creation game like Minecraft can give them and yeah the, <laughs> the island from last is not necessarily one that would have been at the top of my list to spend hours of my life trying to recreate I wasted enough hours of my life trying to figure out what that fucking show was about when it was on television uh, but yeah fair play
1: I mean I'll have a look at this after but as I've not even played Far Cry 5 yet um, and I never watched Lost other than maybe half an hour of an episode once the most <laughs> I've got out this, this, it's safe to say this may not be for you <laughs> the most I've got out of Lost or the, the the most interaction I have with Lost is listening to the album by a Weezer that's called Hurley which has uh, yeah early is the front cover on the album In artwork
0: it. uh that's the end of the news this week now we move into the link to the cast book club where we talk about an important game from the past that you should play for the first time if you haven't already or you should play again if it's been a while uh this week we're doing uh a little bit something different from the makers of grand theft auto uh we're going to talk about la noir Is a an award detective action adventure video game developed by Team Bondi and published by rockstar games. It was released on the 17th of May 2011 for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 and 8th of November 2011 for Microsoft Windows uh, with a recent remake uh, or re-release, should I say, on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One uh, at the end of 2017. Um, The game draws heavily from both the plot uh, and aesthetic elements of film noir, stylistic films made popular in the 1940s and 1950s that share similar visual styles and themes Including crime and moral ambiguity, along with drawing inspiration from real life crimes for its in game cases based on what was reported by the Los Angeles media in 1947. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll throw it open there, um, Mark. Rockstar Games. When you when you think of Rockstar Games, you think of Grand Theft Auto, obviously. Um but they they have done a little they have put out the the odd something off the beaten track kind of game. Uh we've already talked about Manhunt on this program before. Uh I don't think we did we do Bully or Canus Canum eat it?
1: I unless you and Jack did it, I don't think we have.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't think we did. Um but yeah, the and of course red dead redemption um but to mention everyone's favorite midnight club but and what's the the ping pong game oh fuck i can't remember but they have a ping pong game yeah um 2011 um where were you what did you think oh, when you saw was rockstar right? well, putting geez. out this game
1: uh i i remember seeing the trailer for it um and one of the things they were uh, showcasing was the really, at the time, incredible uh, facial motion capture, mm. um, uh, which would play a, a kind of core part from the game. Now, I should also uh emphasize by saying i would never played L.A. Noir. Uh yeah. I, I never got around to it. Um, so, so listeners, this won't
0: be one of the longer uh, uh, no. <laughs> book clubs that we've ever done.
1: Um and I can't even tell you why I never got around to it. I'm not sure what it is. Um, I, I don't know what it is if I was playing. I mean, I was probably still playing Spelunky at the time, um, uh, you know, among other games. Um, but I was, up until the release, I did want to play it. I was curious by it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a massive Rockstar fan, and certainly at the time, um, I would have played, you know, the grand theft auto games at the time and and red dead um hmm. but just for some reason this one passed me by but i do remember seeing the trailer and thinking okay this you know it looks like a rockstar game but you know they've clearly taken this in in a really interesting direction and place um you know we've had the the fucking cowboys and indians and the shootouts and whatnot and now they're taking this kind of early 30s, 40s, noir uh, detective approach. And that's awesome. Um, And then that was it. And other than I know that a friend of mine, a friend of the show, Matt Niner, is a big proponent of this game. That was as far as I ever got with it. Um, And I was interested to get it for the Switch, and then they released it for whatever price that wasn't a price that I wanted to pay for it. So, you know, (laughs) at some point, I still will feel like I will get around to this game. Yeah. and maybe you'll be the one to, to to push me over
0: the edge to it so it, it, one of the many things that's interesting about this game is that it tackles um concepts and, and philosophies at its at its core that I I don't think people would would have necessarily credited rockstar at the time of being able to do I think rockstar are the game are the 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 people who put out games that feel viscerally satisfying you're speeding around in a car you're glassing a man in the face in hitman um you're taking your slingshot out and bully you're you know you're doing all these sorts of things but this is an entirely more slow methodical and, and thoughtful game that really at the end of the day is all about finding your place in the world um around the time of this this American dream era it's all about um, your main character Cole Phelps who is a Marine Corps veteran from the Second World War who finds himself returning home in the mid to late 1940s uh, to Los Angeles and trying to figure out what it is he's meant to do um, because it was definitely a big kind of interesting period in American history where essentially a generation of men went to fight a someone else's war on another continent and basically vanquished the ultimate evil of modern times and those who survived the question is well what the fuck do we do next um a lot of people who were veterans in europe were able to go back and Some of them found jobs helping to rebuild because much of Europe had been destroyed by six years of war on a scale that had never been seen before. But America, the infrastructure uh, of America was largely intact and in a position where they had gotten themselves out of the Great Depression partly by committing themselves to the Second World War and turning war into a massive industry during this period. So you have an America that has basically found itself as a a superpower a growing economic power and a generation of men coming back going well we've served our time in the army so now what? And this is all kind of wrapped up lovely in the story of Cole Phelps, who kind of comes back and just decides that I'm still going to protect and serve my country, sign up to be a patrol officer in the LAPD. Uh, And early on in the game, you you solve a a, relatively early on in the game, you solve a a high profile murder case uh, and start to impress your bosses down at the precinct and the game basically follows your uh, your rise and your trials and tribulations in the LAPD going from beat cop to murder detective Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the kind of like the the characters and and the cases you come across there Uh, we we talked about the the film noir and it definitely does feel like um, just the classic kind of film noir cool where you feel like everybody should be fucking smoking and wearing hats and drinking scotch and eating club sandwiches and being disrespectful to people <laughs> and shutting the door telling people to shut the door um it, it it's really it, it's really jarring to go from games like, like grand theft auto that that rockstar were putting out to kind of just driving at normal speed in a car that can't really go that fast and obeying the traffic lights and getting from place to place and not being involved in big gunfights or dramatic set pieces every 15 seconds. Um, the the main thing that so there's there's two things that draw people into this game one as you mentioned in the intro there mark is the uh the revolutionary for the time level of performance capture that was involved in this game because a a lot of the actual minute-to-minute gameplay in here involves uh, a process of interrogation um and it's it's really i've never seen it done in in quite the same way and part of it is just because it can get genuinely difficult for some people um to do this where you're actually using deductive reasoning you're asking a series of questions and what you're intending to do with the questions so you you'll be interrogate say i'm interrogating you in this game mark and you'll be sat at the table My character opens his notepad. There's a list of questions. I hit the corresponding face button to ask the question. Um, I can get aggressive sometimes with the witness and try to push them for an answer. And the whole point is that you need to try and study their responses, both in what they say and because of this performance capture, what their kind of facial movements, where they're looking, what, what that gives away. And that kind of leans you towards well, what's the next question I should answer? Or are they lying to me? Should I push them on it? How are they going to react? There's a lot of the game at the end of the day is less about action and beating the bad guy as much as it's about studying human behavior. Uh, and that's a real incredible thing to tried to put into a game and make interesting and i really think this game does pull it off um another thing that's great about it is that it, the certain elements to it are it, it's like a puzzle game you will arrive with a set of facts at a crime scene and you'll be expected to put the pieces together and figure out what happened and where you should go next um and i don't think it ever quite gets to the level that some puzzle games do where you get frustrated and throw down the controller. But there are ways you can make things more difficult on yourself. One by not being as observant as you could be and making sure that you check everything and thinking about the crime scene and where stuff would be. But also, as I said, in those interrogations, you could make a witness hostile and they will just shut up and not tell you more stuff. And it's going to become harder for you to solve the case if you can't get the right information out of a witness. Um, it, it really is um, the combination of the kind of the this late 40s aesthetic, um, the kind of slow burning pace and the what definitely at the time was a very fresh take on a, a, a police versus criminal sort of game um, really fucking just blew my mind in 2011 on um, i don't necessarily think I, I fully appreciated it as much as i should have at the time and i've started now replaying the the, the version i got on on ps4 and this time I, i'm much more enjoying the, the the pacing and the storytelling and you get uh before i turn over to you to ask me questions because i'm conscious of the fact that i've been talking for quite some time now um what it really nails and i think what keeps me coming back to it and what kept me coming back to it in 2011, even though I may not have been consciously aware of this being why I was coming back, is that when you solve a crime or when you make that breakthrough with a witness it gives you an immense satisfaction because the game isn't handing you the answers. You are genuinely having to go and figure it out. There is no real shortcut way around trying to figure out how to get information out of your witness you're you're just like it's a real you're gonna have to get good at this sort of thing uh, and once you do once you learn uh what to be looking for uh, and what questions to be asking and how to deal with a witness, you genuinely start feeling really rewarded by the experience
1: okay shall I shall I start on my questions then?
0: Yeah, pl- please do. Because I've been talking for quite some time yeah. and I would like uh, a sip of Coke Zero for the working man.
1: <laughs> I'll leave you to do that. Um, how does it feel? I mean, so it's not, you know, it's not directly developed by Rockstar. It's it's yeah. published by Rockstar. But do you, f- does, like, if you have never played L.A. Noire and you're coming to it from um, from a Theft Dolto or a Red Dead uh, Redemption, do, do you think a player would be able to come into it and uh, because i know there are some differences to to how the game plays and feels but could a player come into it blind from those and
0: and Mm. enjoy the game as much Um, yeah i think so i think it definitely has um smatterings of the the kind of ps2 era rockstar and on in as much as the, the real hallmark of a Rockstar game isn't exactly what the mechanics do because obviously you do different things in Bully as you do in Grand Theft Auto as you do in Manhunt. But what Rockstar does on a level that almost no other developer is able to consistently do is have a fully realized and immersive environment. Um, You put on a Grand Theft Auto game and you are In the world, you are fully absorbed in it. You put on Manhunt, you're fully absorbed into the griminess uh, of that situation you're in. And I think even though, because the mechanics are so wildly different in L.A. Noire, because you are, you know, you're still like, there, there are still some things that you would do in a GTA game. Like you are driving around. There are occasions on which you will kind of get a bit physical. Um but because the the core mechanics of interrogation and discovery and investigation are, are so different, I do think there's a learning curve there that your first couple of hours you may feel like you're playing catch up, that you're you're a little bit out of your depth. But I don't think that sensation lasts long. Um, and it definitely doesn't last longer than the charm of the game. You're definitely still coming back on. Like, even if I'm not quite cracked this yet, I'm really loving the story that's being told. I'm really loving the the world I'm I'm living in and walking around in at the moment. uh I want to play more, and by the time you've figured out, you're you're already bought in.
1: And does it um does it contain the same sort of flow as those types of games and and does it have the same open worldness to put into air quotes? Um,
0: it it doesn't quite have the same open worldness. Like it, it's not like you will have a bunch of different so like in GTA, you'll have a bunch of different crime bosses you're calling you all the time, you'll be going around to them. Um but it does break things up in a similar way to um Grand Theft Auto in as much as instead of considering it as say oh I got a like a, you know a series of missions I have to do for person X in Grand Theft Auto what you will have is a big case a big murder case or a big vice case or something like that and within that big case that you're presented with Uh, you will have a number of different missions to accomplish, whether it be, okay, right, this very start, I have to go and interrogate a woman, or now I better go look at the crime scene, or something I've learned from both these things now leads me on to a third mission where I'm doing this, that, or the other. Um, So even though it's not quite the the same mission structure as a Grand Theft Auto, it, it is nicely segmented episodically so that you could sit down have like a two to three hour session where you play a bunch of missions in one case you solve a huge case and you've accomplished a bit more in the overall narrative of cole phelps your your protagonist and you also feel satisfied and accomplished within your game session because hey you've solved this this murder case that's been on your desk
1: um, how talk to me a little bit more about like the interrogation scenes because uh-huh. in in my mind I can see it as this cool th- thing in theory, um, as as an idea as as a gimmicky mechanic that's kind of could easily become repetitive over time or just just runs out of ideas. Like, yeah, how good. does that hold up over the course of a game?
0: I think it holds up pretty well um, because not it it, it would get incredibly tedious, and I see where you're coming from. If people always reacted similar ways to similar lines of questioning, so like you can come in there and you can be very calm and you can be Mister Good Cop and just say, "Hey, like, just tell me what the story is," and the game will let you accept a, a version of events, even if it if it's not necessarily true. Um, so the game will let witnesses lo- lie to you and it, it is up to you to to figure things out then. There are some people who will very obviously wear it on their face, uh, how they're feeling. Um, you know, the classic micro uh, expression of if people are um, making up what they're saying, they'll look kind of slightly open to the left you start learning stuff like that to read their faces or if they stall in an answer oh maybe that's because they're lying but it's not necessarily always because they're lying so the differences in behavior between each individual actor that's portraying someone you're you're interviewing does keep it fresh and there are times i i think where it does become slightly annoying where You lead yourself down a line of questioning that you think is promising. And then it turns out later that you just wasted your time. But I think if you didn't have that, the times where you pulled it off and got the truth out of a witness or a truth out of a suspect, it it wouldn't be as rewarding if there wasn't the possibility of that fail state where you could get completely the wrong information and and fail. Um, I also don't think it, it's not like you're doing the interrogation all the live long day. Um, the the periods during which you'll interrogate or interview somebody are spaced out by you doing something different. So it's not like, oh, I'm going to interview this witness. Finish that. Now I'll interview this witness. It's very rarely like that. Um, usually you get a, a break even if it's not like not your kind of thing. To do the interrogation all the time
1: um does this version the 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 updated version um yes are there any changes any tweaks to gameplay is it just a pure kind of presentation uphaul?
0: yeah it's pretty much just uh they put a nice sheen of polish on it uh i will say going back and and looking at the 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 kind of the, the the facial expressions and things like that when i'm doing interrogation it's um it all still looks pretty good. It's less unique now because I think we're used to a higher standard of performance capture than we were in 2011. But still, with in, with it in mind how long ago this game came out, it's still quite impressive. I was kind of worried that when they put the nice sheen of polish on it, that it might make it more difficult uh, to discern what some people's faces are doing. Because you know, sometimes when you uh, polish up a game for this generation from last year. Gen- generation you end up with everything looking smooth and if you smooth everything out you might miss like a wince or an expression or something like that that you were supposed to notice in the original game but at least so far uh, i haven't noticed it being detrimental in in any respect but yeah mostly it's just a a repolished version of the full game all right,
1: that's uh, that's pretty much all from me. Uh, so I guess yeah. I'll leave you to do your elevator pitch.
0: Elevator pitch is that Elena War is maybe the most unique project put out under the the Rockstar Games banner. It uh, it explores. Uh, uh, and not often explored period in American history within video games. That is that post-World War II phase uh, of people returning home and uh, heading into this next great age of the the American dream. I, I think it replicates and is a love letter in many ways to a lot of the heights of film noir. And I think it it earns its references to things like the black dahlia murders and and things like that i i i think it very much earns its references it, it it earns its feel and it is um like i said a love letter to that period if you like that kind of film noir uh detective movie classic kind of uh crime stuff this is well up your street and even if it's not necessarily I think it's one of the more unique games mechanically that a big studio has published uh, in a long time because it it shies away from the action and is definitely much more of a um, a, a thinking man's triple a game than you would necessarily expect so yeah that's of more. all right cool uh, one I last guess... yeah one last bit of business mark you are up next buddy
1: yeah so I think that we can talk about uh, a game that we're both fans of um, for delivering a type of multiplayer experience that uh, is very much, uh, with modern times, um, taking advantage of the fact that, you know, we don't always have enough controllers around. So delivering something that is um, really kind of, you know, the, the the feedback you get from the the creativity that you can have uh, with the different types of games that you can play. Uh, it's a really unique experience that the developers uh, continue to expand on. Uh, I think we can talk about the Jackbox Party Pack series.
0: Yeah, buddy. Okay, that's Jackbox Party Pack for episode 111 of Link to the Cast. Um that's going to bring us to the end of the program for this week. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast, subscribe to us there, rate, review, tell a friend. It all helps. Uh, link to the Cast.eu is the website to keep up with show notes and our podcast as they post. Uh, if you want to drop us an email, uh, you can at link to the cast at gmail.com, but social media is the Easiest way to contact us and quickest way to keep up to date on our content rather than just refreshing the website. Facebook.com forward slash link to the cast. And at link to the cast is our handle on the tweet machine. I am at Dave Ryan IV on Twitter and Mark is at Lithium Project. But hey, look, if games aren't your only interest, we may have the podcast for you. Also available on our fledgling Link to the Cast podcasting network are The Grap up uh, our once every couple of months pro wrestling podcast, generally including some combination of Mark, who's on the line here with me now, Jack Lazell, and the Chair Shop podcast, Barry Murphy. Uh, our most recent show was our post-WrestleMania show. Uh, as we head in towards the summer, we will probably do a show around the UK Championship Tournament, I would imagine might be our next big thing to talk about. Um, but we shall see. Uh, Our other show is the Popcorn Social, a monthly deep dive into the latest cinema offerings of myself and Jack Lazell, plus one offering from Each of us uh, on every show from our own personal list of favorite movies. The latest popcorn social features discussion on, among other movies, Pacific Rim, Uprising, Game Night, Red Sparrow, Isle of Dogs, The Square, Michael Inside, plus old favorites, Trouble the Water and Moneyball. Uh, We will be sitting down to record quite soon, as I made sure when Jack was over here that we watched the cinematic epic that was Black Dynamite, uh, which he had never actually seen before, Mark, which uh, which I thought was stunning. A glaring omission in his film watching career. So we were hoping to record while he was here. We were short on time, but we will be sitting down to record soon we're also uh in the process of trying to find the time to record a special marvel edition of the the podcast we've got some of that in the can but we have to go finish it off before we put it out uh so keep an eye to that they're all in this one podcasting feed uh the yes these these episodes plus the weekly link to the cast flagship podcast of a sort are available in the same podcast feed so one subscription to link to the cast on your favorite podcast platform will do the trick and of course there are any episodes you want to go back to they're all staying in the podcast feed everything will be free forever that is going to do it for link to the cast episode 110 it feels good to be back in the saddle brother i've been your host dave ryan and I'm the man on the line pulling up with my bullshit as always mark robinson we'll talk to y'all next week.